Welcome to FF Plus, a new spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. Here you will find a little bit of everything, from what's been entertaining us, to trailer reactions, industry hot topic conversation, and even film award predictions. We hope you'll enjoy this addition to the Feelin' Film lineup and join us each week. Now, on to the show. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of FF+. I'm Aaron, and here with me again is, as usual, my best friend and co-host, Patch. Hey, guys, what's up? This week's show went from only two things to four things in the blink of an eye. We Inspiration. We have this happen sometimes, man, where we're like, well, two things is too few, so we need to add, like, a third thing, and then... You kick around ideas, and I'm like, ooh, I like that one. Ooh, but I like that that one, too. So then we go, instead of three, we have to go to four. And so I'll just say up front, I'm sorry if this goes a little longer than normal listeners, but I think you're going to enjoy the heck out of it. We really have some cool stuff to talk about this episode. We've got some DC animated films to review, a trailer to discuss. We're going to have a little bit of a conversation about binge-watching. And then we're going to give you our top three fantasy crossover wish lists, essentially, um, in honor of Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, it's a really cool idea. It's something that you probably think a lot about at home on your own as well or talk about with your friends. And so we're going to tell you what some of the ones that we would love to see happen would be. But we're going to kick it off by talking about first Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This is a film, the newest DC animated picture, is based on a six-issue intercompany crossover comic book miniseries that was published in December 2015, featuring DC's Batman and the IDW incarnation of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It also has two additional six-issue volumes that came afterwards that were continuations of this team-up story, but those are not the main plot lines of this film. This film covers the first volume, or adapts it, rather. The plot for this is that Batman, Batgirl, and Robin forge an alliance with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to fight against the turtle's sworn enemy, the Shredder, who has teamed up with Ra's al Ghul and the League of Assassins. And if that doesn't sound awesome to you, then I feel sorry for you, because something is wrong with your brain. Patrick, I've been looking forward to this one. You've been looking forward to this one. We both love these characters, and I want to know what you thought about Well, actually, before you tell us what you thought about it, did you read this comic ever? And No, I, ha- I okay. have. I have not read it. All right. But based on your recommendation, I don't think adaptation is the best word. I think interpretation is probably a better word, based on what you're saying. What I didn't want to do was read a comic that a movie was loosely based on so soon between the two because I didn't want to start comparing like, oh, that didn't happen or that did happen. I really wanted to go into our review of this very pure, and I plan on in the next week or so reading the comic, even though I know it's not exact, which helps me because now I can treat them almost as separate entities, kind of like Ready Player One to an extent where you have a different experience with the comic than you do the movie. But no, I didn't read it. I'm planning to this week, though. Well, I'll give you my backstory, and that is that you told me you had purchased this comic before we watched the movie. So I went out and did the same thing, and then I read it in like two days. I actually did that before I watched the movie, and I am glad that you chose to wait because I found these to be very different, and I think interpretation is definitely a good word. It's probably even more different than the comic than Ready Player One was (laughs) movie-wise to the book. And it definitely impacted the way that I was watching this movie. And so we'll get to kind of approach, I guess, our reviews from those two different perspectives and see how that happens. But what did you think about it, man? I really, really enjoyed this. This was um, one of those things where when you talk about crossovers, it can be really hit or miss because you don't know how the characters from these two universes are going to sort of mesh together. And I really thought 
that if you're going to combine two properties, Batman and the Ninja Turtles are fantastic. They both deal with working in the shadows, yet the two sets of characters have different approaches. You have a, a family atmosphere with the Turtles, whereas you have a solo guy with Batman. I mean, of course, you have, you have Robin and, and Batgirl, but there's definitely a, a brotherly type thing going on with the Turtles. And so to see them interact with Batman and have it start out with the conflict between those two sets of characters, I think really made it appealing. You got within the first half of the story, a sense of who these characters were. I mean, if you're watching this, not knowing who Batman is and who the Ninja Turtles are, then something's wrong with you, but great. I'm glad you watched it. But even if you weren't as familiar with one or the other property, the beginning of the story gave you an idea of what kinds of characters these guys are. I felt like both the Turtles and Batman represented their selves well. Like, I don't think characteristics were diminished because of the fact that this was a, a team up. This was a crossover. That's another risk that you run into is if you have a writer or a series of creative people that are trying to just bring properties together and they don't really know the nuances of these individual characters. So seeing that done so well really impressed me. Yeah, I'm with you. The personalities of the characters are nailed here and that had to come first. I think that was the groundwork. The animation could look great. The action sequences could be awesome. The story could be super fun and interesting, but if they didn't get the personalities of these characters that we've grown to love correct, none of that would matter. And the joy for me was definitely seeing them interact in their, more so than their fighting styles or, I mean, it's cool. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I love seeing Batman and Leonardo going at it like these two masters of different hand to hand combat styles and, seeing them appreciate each other and learn from each other and such that's fun but the banter is really what i love the most and mikey and alfred have some awesome chemistry in this specific film where they have interactions that you can just imagine right if you know the character of alfred and you know the character of michelangelo the turtle think about how those two are going to go together it's going to be like fire and ice and right it's a lot of fun so this is the great thing about creative storytelling is the ability to understand what opposites work. This is something that I'm learning in some of my writing classes is that you take something and you create an opposite for it to help create a little bit of conflict in your story. But I think what this movie does is in particular has restraint with those things because there could have been a number of times when jokes went on too long when fight sequences could have been too extended just to show off cool factors of the different characters' fighting styles, but it felt like just enough. There were a couple of moments where I kind of looked at my watch and said, okay, I think we're, we should wrap this, this sequence up. But for the most part, in particular with, with Mikey and Alfred, the moments that they share together are perfect. They are just long enough. You get the joke in, you laugh, and then you move on. And I think that there could have been the risk that you let that linger too long because as a writer, you're like, this would be funny to me. And what if this happened? What if that happened? But I like the fact that they showed restraint in how they put all these guys together and the dialogue that they shared. Absolutely. The one thing that I probably love the most outside of just the characters interacting with each other in the comic and I fell in love with the comic, by the way. I was gushing to you about how much I enjoyed it. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal read. And in a lot of ways, I like it better, I think, still than the animated film. I almost wish that they would have adapted it kind of straightforwardly because I like the plot line better. In this movie, we don't really have a lot of explanation about how the Turtles and Batman are in the same place. They just kind of are, and it jumps us kind of right into the action of what's going to be happening. But what they do is they take this one specific sequence from the comics that is a much shorter part of the story where all of the villains team up in a way that is incredibly interesting and specific to something from the Turtles universe. <laughs> I'm trying not to give it away because we're talking non-spoilers, 
but it is absolutely the coolest thing to see play out. And in the comics, it's like a much, much smaller section. And in the film, it's escalated to almost like a third, it seems like, of the movie. This whole sequence in uh, Arkham Asylum with the villains. And it I loved it. I like seeing it drawn out and get a lot more play. And it made sense to me that the movie version would do that because from a storytelling in a film, the action can shine when you're looking at something in cinema type, type, you know, lens versus if you're looking at it on the page, you don't read a lot of comics where there's action, 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 page after page after page because it doesn't work the same way in that medium. And so I enjoy that part of what the film adaptation did quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I also enjoyed the design of the turtles and the distinction that we see physically with them. I think that was something that you and I talked about offline, that if you look at them side by side, if they're standing you know, in a row of four, each one has a distinct kind of body shape. I think Donatello is very thin, very kind of lanky. Uh, Raphael is very muscular. Yep. Uh, Mikey, I think, is kind of doughy a little bit. Doughy. I wrote down <laughs> chunky and poofy and has definitely eaten the most pizza. I was going to say that. And then <laughs> yeah, and then you have Leonardo, who I think is a nice balance. But I think Shocker. that persona – well, yeah. But, uh, but that personifies who they are. And as someone who grew up liking the 1990s live-action Ninja Turtles that all look the same, I love these turtles for the opposite reason, that they looked somewhat different from each other and that their personalities accentuated that physicality. So yep. you had kind of a double dose of, hey, Donnie's specifically Donnie. He's not just a turtle with a purple sash and a bow staff. And the same thing with any of the other turtles. But you still got that same personality trait where Raphael is just the hard-nosed, like, meanie who's just real – he's the brooding guy. In fact, there's this great scene with him and Batman where the word brooding comes up. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much it, yeah. Rap, you are the Batman equivalent to the turtles in your in the way that you brood. Yep, and that's actually played up in the comic as well in a little bit of a better way that goes more emotional with Batman and Raphael. So that's something if if you like when you watch this film, listeners, definitely you're gonna want to check out the comic too because it gives you some more of that specific relationship. And I really enjoyed it in that storyline. Um, I. I want more of this i loved also the score by the way it's like really this rad electronic score kind of like tron legacy or mad max fury road uh, especially in the beginning credits and opening sections and the fight scenes that was awesome but i definitely would watch like an entire series of batman versus tmnt adventures together and also i just love that dc animation continues to be a playground for material like this that is slightly more mature, slightly edgier. It's not quite cartoon Saturday morning style, but it's, it's a little bit you know more violent than that. There are some cool Easter eggs for film fans, specifically Quentin Tarantino Easter egg from one of his movies that's in here that people are going to notice and go gaga over like I did. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too. And I think that the thing about DC animation that's so great is that I feel like, and this is not in conflict to the DCEU, this is just as a property, as a as a production company, I feel like they take the source material very seriously and they understand not only what's popular, but that it needs to be adapted. If it's going to be adapted for the big screen in terms of animation, it needs to maintain what made the comic, what made the story itself so successful now i can't speak for the comic book because i haven't read it yet but from the standpoint of things like uh like the flash parrot flashpoint paradox and some of the superman adaptations the the way in which dc and or warner brothers animation takes care of the characters takes care of the stories they get told there's a sense of trust that goes into that and I feel like anything that's going to have the DC stamp or the WB animation stamp on it is one that's going to get my money. I mean, if we get another crossover with the Transformers and somebody else in the DC universe, 
I'll probably buy into it because I trust Warner Brothers animation. And even if it doesn't fit exactly from the comic source material, I think the spirit of the stories is probably one of the most common things that you get from a comic to its animated counterpart. Yep. Absolutely, man. Good stuff. Well, we definitely recommend this one, listeners. Fans of DC's animated movies already, this is a no-brainer for you. It is available to buy digitally right now, and it should be out on Blu-ray and DVD on June the 4th, so you can purchase it that way. It's hard to tell exactly what's going on with DC Animated's uh, films and their release schedules and dates. Sometimes these are very weird, and they don't do a lot of promotion for them, and I it's one area that I just wish that they would step their game up, to be honest, because they have a universe of movies that there are is a legion of fans that are eating these up, us included. And it would be nice if they worked out a little more consistently with the way that they release. This one, to my knowledge, is not available to rent yet. I don't know if that's going to be happening when it drops on Blu-ray or if it's not going to happen. I, you know, do you just buy it for 20 bucks? Uh, hopefully that's not the case. Although I will say it's worth it and we bought it. So <laughs> we definitely endorse it um, as being worth your money. If this sounds interesting to you. Also, just real quick before we move on, I got to say that Batman has a certain coffee mug that should be on every Stop it. DC fans no. table. Uh, never not going to just saying, just saying, it is a betrayal of the Batman character that hurt me to my core when I saw it. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, let's talk about Batman some more, Patrick, and do some... Trailer Talk. So conveniently, the same week that we are talking about this new release, Batman vs. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the trailer drops for the next DC animated film, which also happens to be about the best character in the DC Universe, Batman... And it is going to be an adaptation of a long wished for series or graphic novel called Batman Hush. Now, Batman Hush is a story written by Jeff Loeb and originally published in late 2002 that depicts a mysterious bandage-faced stalker called Hush who seems intent on sabotaging Batman from afar. It includes a large number of guest appearances by Batman villains as well as various members of the Bat family, and also Superman. It also explores the romantic potential between Batman and Catwoman. Now, I'm going to ask you, like I did on the first one, Patrick, have you read Batman Hush? Yes, this is actually one of the, when I was getting into my graphic novel, not renaissance, but when I was getting into reading more graphic novels as opposed to just standard floppies, this was one of the first ones I read. I remember reading it back in 2014, Mainly because I was a huge fan. I'm, a, I'm still a huge fan of Jeff Loeb. I think he's a fantastic writer. And I wanted to go ahead and check this out and was not disappointed. This is a very different, well, I say it's different. It's, it's part of the vein of any Batman story, but it felt very different than his standard rogues gallery type of adventure. Uh, to see someone kind of new and different to me was very, very appealing. Yeah, I can't remember if this is one that you bought for me or not, because there was a time period when we were both into comics pretty heavily for about a year and a half, two years, when the New 52 launched. Yeah. And we were just eating stuff up at a pace that we couldn't keep up with, essentially. <laughs> and eventually we, we got overwhelmed and died off. But you sent me some graphic novels back during that time period, and I think this might have been one of them. I had read it when it first came out. And I know I own it, so that's why I think it might have been you who sent it to me. Maybe I bought it myself. But I did read it back in the mid-2000s, and I absolutely love it as well. I've always said it's right up there with my top you know, five or so Batman stories. Mainly for the reasons that you say as well. Like, I love that there's this new villain that doesn't really reappear. Like, it's this self-contained into this specific storyline. Hush is not a villain that is going to pop back up in the villain villain lore over and over and over. And because of that, it elevates this story and the way that he's used in the shadows, kind of manipulating and just always irritating Batman, which is something that we don't get to see a lot of because Batman is usually the one who's on his game when it comes to his detective skills. This plays out like a mystery thriller 
It's a lot of fun. Uh, the comic is, and I personally enjoy the romance plotline quite a bit being thrown in there. Batman has a lot of secrets revealed from his past that come into play. And then, frankly, much like Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, one scene I was referencing earlier in that review, this has an entire plotline of villains from Batman's rogues gallery that are involved that all are essentially attacking at the same time. And it's awesome to see that happen. And it presents scenarios and possibilities for these situations that couldn't happen if he was dealing with villains on a one-on-one or one-on-two basis. And it makes it special that, that way. Yeah, Batman Hush is, I think, a Pandora's box of Batman adventures wrapped up in this one storyline where Hush represents Pandora and he has opened up the worst of Batman's nightmares and his past and his present all kind of come crashing down. It's been a while. It's been a few years since I've read the read the graphic novel. So watching the trailer, I was really, really intrigued by Bad Boy Superman making an appearance and I've forgotten what that was all about. So I'm kind of don't want to read Batman Hush before I see this because I want to kind of re-experience what that particular piece is. You know, anytime something happened weird to my boy Superman, it's always going to be interesting for me. So I think when you combine not only his rogue gallery, basically becoming a football team, taking on this one guy, but then you have other pieces of his life, not necessarily enemies, but allies that might be turning enemy or that romantic side that you mentioned, it creates a really great psychological adventure for the Cape Crusader. And to me, as someone who's not as big of a Batman fan as you are, I think that creates a huge audience beyond just those that are big Batman fans. I agree. I think this one has that ability. And again, unfortunately, with DC's marketing skills for their animated films, they just don't put a lot of effort into it and a lot of money into it. And so it's going to rely on fans sharing this with other fans and recommending it. But Batman Hush is definitely one of the ones that gets recommended the most. When somebody says, hey, where do I read Batman? What do I start with? Someone's going to tell them to check out Hush as one of their first graphic novels. And also because it's kind of standalone, too. You know, like it doesn't require a whole bunch of foreknowledge of the character to get into it. They have enough introductions of the villains and Batman himself and all this stuff that's going on. So I really hope that it's adapted more faithfully than the Batman versus TMNT was. Honestly, while I didn't dislike the Batman versus TMNT, I, like I mentioned earlier, I do really enjoy the way the comic storyline played out better. So I hope that Hush is more like that. And more importantly, I guess the comparison would probably be to compare it to The Killing Joke. The Killing Joke animated film, they added some things too to make it edgier in a way that did not work. It went too far. And I don't want to see that happen in Hush at all. From the trailer, it looks like it's going to be pretty faithfully adapted. And I was very excited for it. It looks good. I saw just enough to know that I'm excited for it and can't wait for it to release. Uh, it's coming out August the 13th, so a few more months. It'll be here. Unlike you, I am going to reread it. I've actually got it downloaded electronically, ready to get into. And I guess when we get around to reviewing it, we'll come at it from the different perspectives once again. Well, this next topic, Patrick, is one that you recommended. And it's based off of the current ending of Game of Thrones, or at least that was sort of partially what inspired it. Now, as listeners know, we covered that on this show, or I say we, myself and a couple of our contributors, Aaron and Jeremy, have covered the last several episodes of Game of Thrones in this final series, and it's really the end of an era in that it has been an incredible event for people over the last eight years. Very few shows have been able to create that in the last decade. Walking Dead comes to mind, did it for several years as well, but wasn't able to sustain it as long as Game of Thrones did. But people came together to watch this show on a Sunday night, the exact same time. Kind of had to because spoilers are all over the internet within seconds of it ending. And it lent itself to a special way in which fans could interact and 
communally just share in the joy of an episode for a week before the next one came out. And that is a direct opposition to the binge type of culture that exists now because of Netflix. I think Netflix is kind of the one that ushered this in, and it's largely become the norm for streaming services to start and drop their series all at once. And so we just wanted to talk a little bit about that and kind of the pros and the cons. Why don't you start? Why don't you tell me what do you prefer and why do you prefer what you prefer? Well, it really depends. That's kind of a loaded question. I mean, I could answer it quickly by saying, yes, (laughs) I prefer both. But it really does depend on the intent of the storytelling. Before we got to streaming services, and then subsequently before we got to original content, original television series by companies like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, or excuse me, Amazon, I think that what we get into is this type of long-form storytelling that is dependent on viewers. It's dependent on ratings. And so when you deal with, and I'm going to talk about American television specifically because British television does a completely different thing, sometimes in better ways. American television tends to build itself up as season-to-season cliffhangery moving into the next with the exception of maybe procedural dramas, you have, even in those, you have an undercurrent of a plot line of things moving forward and moving forward and moving forward. And the strength of network television or television shows that are on weekly as opposed to all at once is you get the benefit of not only having that kind of cliffhanger, I can't wait to see what happens next, How is this going to end? But you also get the benefit of, as you mentioned, having those conversations the next day and asking, did you see X or did you see Y? And even if someone hadn't, they'll have a chance to catch up with that as opposed to watching an entire series, which take, for example, Cobra Kai. I want to have that conversation with you, but I'm not going to be able to. Now, I would have that same dilemma if this was a week to week thing and you weren't caught up yet, or you weren't watching it with me. But it's different because now, even with that, I can't, even with someone who is just watching it episode by episode, as opposed to just binging the whole thing, I can't talk about individual episodes with that person. Because all I understand of the show is the entire season. I can talk about it as an entire season, as opposed to saying, man, on episode three, do you remember when blah, 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 blah? And I'm like, oh yeah, I do remember that. And that leads to kind of another thing where if you're binging a show, whether it's meant to be binged or not, you're not necessarily getting to linger on these moments, not just the cliffhanger that typically comes with it with an episode on television, but also with the fact that you're not kind of revisiting ideas like, man, you know, Flash said this, but did he really mean that? Instead, you're moving on to the next episode. And by the time you get to the end of the season, you're like, oh, yeah. I think Flash said that back in, did he say that earlier? I can't remember. It doesn't have as much weight to it. And so, for sh- so here's my kind of roundabout answer. For shows that are made to be watched serially, week to week, I don't want to binge those because they're made to be watched with a gap in between. But for shows that are built and released as full seasons, like Daredevil or Orange is the New Black or whatever. I feel like the storytellers, the creative teams behind those are building them without those little caveats in place that force you to go, man, I can't wait for the next episode. Instead, they don't leave you with the cliffhanger. They just kind of in that particular moment and then they kind of bleed into the next one. The weird thing is that you get into these TV shows that weren't built that way, but they're on Netflix that you can binge. And so you kind of get this weird hybrid of not getting that that kind of ethereal <gasps> moment, but at the same time, you're like, okay, well, I, I can continue this, and maybe you are getting some of that. So it's just kind of weird. So there, there are places for both. Yeah, I mean, I think that's always the right answer in most conversations, at least, is that there's room for both. Uh, there's room for multiple opinions and 
multiple ways of enjoying entertainment. For me, I am very similar to you. I think maybe a little more on the prefer not to binge side of things. However, the thing about binging is it allows you to take a chunk of time that you have free and experience something and legitimately finish it. And that is a real problem for people who love entertainment these days because there is so much good stuff out there to consume. And that is a double-edged sword. You talked about Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai was 30-minute episodes, right? So if you were asking me to commit to 30 minutes a week on, say, a Monday night, we were both going to watch that show every week, and then we were going to talk about it, I could do that, and we could have had that experience. But I couldn't find the time or make the time to carve out the whatever it is, eight hours or something like that for the entire season. And because of that, we weren't able to have like that ongoing conversation. I also think that it's definitely more necessary or, or the conversation itself can be better depending on the show. Um, I don't need to watch a sitcom all, you know, week to week to week. I don't care what happens in friends from one week to the next. I can watch episodes independently, like just pop one on, you know, or the office, things like that. Those kind of shows don't necessarily need to be split up. Binge watching those makes perfect sense. I love what you brought up about shows that are designed for binge watching. I don't know that I've ever paid attention to that, and I might have to do that now. I can't think of something I've watched that was made to be binged and and, and really notice the difference in my head right now. But it makes sense that that would be the case. I do think that I've felt myself lamenting the loss, though, of this communal thing with Game of Thrones. It has been a really great experience. Spending a week just digging into an episode, watching it multiple times, learning about it, figuring things out, finding Easter eggs, speculating on what's going to happen the next week with other people, and then having that anticipation build and build and build to when you sit down in front of the TV ready to watch the next episode. It's like 10 straight weeks of going to highly anticipated movies, you know, and it's hard to beat that, but you're right. Every show is not going to benefit from that. And it's tricky. This has come into play where, you know, I've always wanted to cover TV show on this, on the podcast and I want to be in on the ground level, but how do you determine what that's going to be? <laughs> you know, you could start 50 podcasts on new shows that, the public never actually falls in love with and doesn't generate that kind of conversation. So something like Game of Thrones is very rare and it's hard to use it as a comparison also. Yeah, so you brought up something really interesting that the podcast element of it is something completely independent of the enjoyment of that. But the nature of what the podcast is, is still there. That idea of sharing that with someone else. And obviously FF plus is sort of an extension of that. We get a chance to cover movies together and talk about them more frequently than our main episodes or, you know, trailers, things like that. The camaraderie of being able to talk back and forth about something that we have in common is something that inspired the podcast that we're doing right now. It's what we were doing before we even started podcasting with our Battlestar Galactic episodes. We committed to two episodes a week and for a good while, that's what we would do. We'd watch, we'd vox each other, and we'd put a little note that said, you know, BSG notes incoming, and then we'd get a long audio file, and each of us would save it until we're ready to listen to it. And I love that. And I think that's very common with a lot of people and something that could potentially get lost when you do a binge of a show. But the fact is, I don't think it's completely lost because you have outlets for that, like podcasts or even just conversation but i think when you have shows that make you wait between weeks it gives more people an opportunity to experience that together for instance the weekend after the battle of windfell is that right winterfell winterfell wow. thank you see for someone nerd, who hasn't watched nerd Game of Thrones, is just dropping i don't mind that with that being a reference so but i had two or three people come in and say hey did you do you watch game of thrones mm-hmm 
And I'm like, sorry, I don't. I can't tell you any thoughts on on that. And and there was a little disappointment because they want to talk about that. Whereas me using Cobra Kai as an example, I'm like, I can't say, have you watched Cobra Kai for two reasons? One, not everybody has YouTube read. And two, not everybody is going to invest even the what half hour times eight episodes, do the math to be ready to talk about something like that. That has to be planned. And so I think with scripted television, that is driven by a network that's driven by a time frame where you're not necessarily using the DVR, but where you're really wanting to watch something in real time that creates more of an avenue for that conversation. It's not eliminated by binging shows, but you get less of those focal points and those discussion points because of the fact that you don't have someone to talk about that with. Yeah. And you know, what I feel the most is where I miss something in real time because it came out to be binged. Let's say Stranger Things season two is a great example. I wasn't ready to watch it when it came out. The majority of people I know sat down the opening weekend that it dropped and watched either the whole thing or within two or three weeks, they had watched the whole thing. There was a huge amount of conversation online about it for two or three weeks, and then it was gone. It was that fast and it was over. So now if I was to watch Stranger Things season two, whether I binge it or watch it over the course of the next two months, one episode at a time, I've missed out on that conversation because now those same folks, it's not fresh in their mind. It's all in the past. It was it was a one-shot deal. And if you're not in at the time when it hits and you do it right in the moment, you miss the train and now you're la- you're, you don't get to participate in that conversation. Right. So a friend of the show, Reed Lackey, who helps co-host the Fear of God podcast, I had this conversation with him with regards to the level of our entertainment and value of a show in connection to the social connection aspect of it. And he was talking about how he wanted to take a break from that. Like he did, he intentionally chose not to watch new shows, Stranger Things maybe being one of them. And I remember talking to him in private message and we were kind of expounding on that. And he said, you know, one of the best shows that I recently rewatched and he emphasized rewatched was Cheers. And one of the reasons why is because I watched it just because I wanted to enjoy it, not so I could talk about it with people, not so I could share it or so that, so that I could be a part of the conversation. And it, he said it took the pressure away from me having to watch something in order to be connected to a conversation. And that says something big about our need as people to want to be connected to others in some way, shape or form to have that common ground. But there's definitely a battle that we fight because now we're asking the question, why am I watching this? I'll go on record in saying that I didn't enjoy Stranger Things. And I'm probably one of the three people on the entire planet that did not enjoy Stranger Things. So therefore, I didn't watch season two. I'm not going to watch season three necessarily. I'm also not going to be that guy who champions the flag of saying, I didn't watch that show. The fact is, it just didn't appeal to me. And it's cause it's if you like porn. it, what's that? It's because it's not porn like Game of Thrones. So, oh my gosh, did you go there? <laughs> okay. Listeners know I don't feel that way. I'm just mimicking me. <laughs> In any case, I think that it's important to be able to find balance by finding shows that you like and being okay with not necessarily having a discussion about them. And I say that obviously flying in the face of the fact that we have a podcast where we discuss movies. But, you know, Jeremy... One of the contributors to the show, I find common ground with him because he recommends shows to me that and movies that he thinks I might like, and I'll do the same for him. And I find myself watching a show like Superstore, and I'm like, dude, oh my gosh, I just watched this episode. And he's like, yeah, I don't really remember that one, but I, I'm pretty sure it was funny. And I'm like, ah. Oh. And I have to remind myself, enjoy it for yourself, first and foremost. Don't enjoy it for somebody else. Enjoy it for yourself. And I've tried to take that avenue with the stuff that I watch, not just movies, but TV shows and even books. I don't have to feel like I'm telling everybody, here's what I'm reading right now. It's pretty great. I can take a step back and really enjoy it for the sake of just consuming that story. Yeah, I think we have to be able to do both. Again, it comes down to that. And some people are going to lean one way or the other. You, I think you're saying you lean towards being able, wanting to be able to consume and not have to talk about everything. Whereas I lean the other direction. I want everything that I post on social media that I am doing to be a conversation. It just, it it fuels me and I enjoy it. 
and it enhances every single thing that I'm experiencing. And so then I look for and lean towards the methods of ticking in entertainment in which I can be part of the cultural conversation. Um, and, and I think the answer then to binge or not to binge is basically yes. <laughs> That's the answer. We started there and we're going to come full circle and end there as well because you can't be wrong, but it is fascinating to think about what the culture has become with regards to shows and the way that they are released. And I hope that there will always be some of both to satisfy whatever we may be wanting at the time. And I can tell you from a personal standpoint, I am praying hard that my Lord of the Rings Amazon series is not dropped all at once because it's going to break my heart in a lot of ways because I want that to be a drawn out, slow, week by week experience with an entire fandom across the world as part of it. And if it comes out and it's like 10 episodes here on a Friday night, it's going to take the wind out of those sails for me as a fan. And I'm going to be sad. Well, and you can't podcast on all 10 episodes at once. So no, and you wouldn't mean because you wouldn't want to, it would would take so much of the fun out of it and you can do 10 separate episodes, but it just, it is not the same when you do it that way. Sure. And uh, yeah, but good talk, man. That was good. I hope that, Everyone listening, get some value out of it, maybe. And we'd love to know what you guys think. If you're a part of our Facebook group, you can let us know there. Find us on Twitter. Tell us what you prefer when it comes to binge watching and uh, or not binge watching. Now, last up, Patrick, the other thing you recommended was this top three fantasy team ups, kind of in honor of Batman VTMT. And I really latched onto this the moment you said it. I was like, yes, that sounds super duper cool. So what we have done is come up with our top three fantasy team up wish lists. And these are the franchise character crossover events that we would love to see in a movie. I thought of mine in terms of a movie. Did you think of yours in terms of storytelling specifically? Well, I mean, all of mine are from movies. I didn't Mine necessarily gravitate towards okay. specific franchises. You'll, you'll get what I'm putting down when I start talking about it. Okay. Well, the point is, I think we're trying to think of these in terms of these are movies we would like to see. Sure. And I have about 15 uh, as normal for my number three. The one that I'm going to go with here and mention is relevant or timely, I would say. And that is... I would love a mashup, Patrick, of Godzilla and Pacific Rim. Oh, yeah. That's good stuff. I I think if you took Jaegers and added them to this monsterverse that has been created, it would make perfect sense. And visually, it would look amazing. I'm super duper excited to see Godzilla King of the Monsters next week. It looks to be just amazing. The way that the trailers have portrayed it. The, the the bigness of the monsters reminds me of the bigness of the Jaegers. And we didn't get a lot of kaiju in the Pacific Rim movies. They always kind of were given to you in smaller doses, which is not bad. It's a good way to do it so that they have better impact. But I think if we took those same kaiju and turned them into the Jaegers fighting against King Ghidorah or Mothra or something that we actually are familiar with, it could be a really, really fun way to cross over universes, especially if you brought in some of the actors from both of those series and made it into a very modern story that makes sense for it to happen. I just, I can't stop thinking about it now. (laughs) And and I'm probably going to be imagining Jaegers entering into the picture when I'm watching Godzilla next week. That's good stuff, man. Um, I, I would see that movie. I would I would definitely watch that movie. Even though I'm not going to see King of the Monsters uh, and cover it with you, if you if you threw some Jaegers in there, I would probably make my way to the theater to see that. Awesome. All what right. was yours? So all three of mine, I need to preface this by saying all three of mine are essentially designed to be super teams in a particular realm of some kind. All right? And so the first super team of mine is... And so the the plot to the movie is kind of insignificant. But so that being said, the first super team is a heist crew. Okay. Now I love my Fast and the Furious crew. 
I think they're great. And so for this, for this little exercise, I didn't use anybody in there because I don't want to diminish that crew of people. And so I narrowed it down to five different types of people. We got the thief, the hacker, the con artist, the hitter or the bot, you know, the, the body man, and then the mastermind. And awesome. so I've got as my thief, Kaiser Soze from the usual suspects. I've got as my hacker, Lyle from the Italian job, because who doesn't like messing with streetlights during the middle of a big heist? As my con artist, I'm going to go with Danny Ocean from Ocean's Eleven. You've got this level-headed guy who understands nuance, understands kind of the big picture, cool, collected. Then you've got the hitter, and I went with Michael Sullivan from Road to Perdition. I think that if you're going to have somebody who's going to be the muscle of your crew, it needs to be Michael Sullivan. And finally, the guy behind the guy, the one who is crafting the entire thing, the mastermind, Lex Luthor. Wow. Interesting. So, so again, I don't know what the movie would look like, but if you had that all-star team there, whatever they're trying to get, they will get. And they will get it in spades, okay? And Superman's in trouble because if Lex Luthor is the one in charge. It's obviously going to be in order to take down Superman. Well, yeah, but, you know. Whatever the plot is, that's what I'm saying. I preface it by saying <laughs> I don't know what the plot would be. I just know that in this heist movie, these guys are a force to be reckoned with. Well, I love the way you approach this, and I'm almost sad you didn't tell me so I could approach it the same way. But that's okay, <laughs> because mine are still awesome in their own way. In their own way, and yes, I will live vicariously through your cool little team ups. Now I'm excited to hear what the other two are. Well, my number two is the one on my list that I think is probably one that almost everybody out there in the world might have on their list if they made a, say, a top five or so. And that is, it's pretty obvious. It's the Fast and the Furious and Mission Impossible. I think that a fusion of these two series seems the most feasible and realistic of pretty much anything we could ever come up with because they share so much of the same DNA in the way the action is done. Obviously, Fast and Furious is more overblown and over the top. But they're both highly ensemble-oriented action movies. They both often rely on elaborate heists. They do not pertain or do not adhere to the laws of physics and gravity very often. They usually defy those in some way. And I think that the expansion of the fast and the furious universe to when it created mr nobody and this kind of secret organization that they are helping pull jobs for very reminiscent of something like the imf and these could just come together really well just imagine dominique toretto and ethan hunt trying to agree on how to approach something Uh, it would be a stunt filled smorgasbord of macho energy um and just unadulterated one-upmanship essentially between all of these different characters and there are so many great characters now um, across the board from a diversity standpoint as well gender standpoint ethnicity standpoint that i think it could be just something really really special and super fun and could actually make some semblance of sense at least so fast and furious and mission impossible would love to see that i have a specific honorable mention for this if i can't get fast and the furious with mission impossible i would take fast and the furious with john wick or also fast and the furious with mad max all great choices but i think the mission impossible one makes perfect sense and i think it's almost like when you're adding two pieces of chemistry together you get an explosion of goodness like that's like elements of awesome brought together and again two for two i would go see that probably probably more so than godzilla and pacific rim mashup but i'd go see both so you're two for two on getting me to the theater which is a big deal right somebody hire me (laughs) just do it you're just the pitch man i love it what do you what about this what about this so my number two is actually, I went with the superhero mashup, superhero super team, but I wanted to challenge myself, okay? I wanted to pick five different characters with five different kinds 
of character traits from five different properties. Okay. Wow. Now okay. I know why you were texting me saying you were struggling with this a little bit because I, I approached it so much more simple. Well, I tried to be simple and I was like, nothing's coming to mind. Whereas you're like, I've got the answers and they're just kind of rolling off my head. And I'm like, why don't you give me some of your answers so I can, <laughs> so I had to get creative. Well, I'm excited to hear what this is. So hit us. So here's what I did. I picked, um, I picked a, a hero from Marvel, DC, Image, Dark Horse, and IDW. I know there are other comic book companies out there, but those are what I consider the big five. And among those properties, among those groups, I picked a hero that doesn't have any powers, a hero that has acquired powers, a hero that has cosmic powers, a hero that had, that was born with powers, and an anti-hero. Okay. So I know this might get a little convoluted, so bear with me. So my no powers. That's appropriate. I think it is, you know, because you got to level the playing field. You just can't have all Superman as much as I'd love that. So my no powers pick was from Image Comics, and it was a combination or at least a tie between Kick-Ass and Hit-Girl. I think there's a fantastic line there of having these folks that are just kind of being thrown in and are being driven basically by their ego. And so you got Kick-Ass and Hit-Girl as my no powers superhero. My acquired power superhero is, of course, Spider-Man from Marvel. I think he's probably my favorite of that kind of type of hero. You know, great power, great responsibility, thrust upon you, and the way he uses it, there couldn't be any other pick. Cosmic powers was a no-brainer for me as well. Superman, Krypton, Alien, you know, outer space. Not going to delve into that. Said enough already. Born with powers. This is one. This came from IDW, and so this is kind of where it gets interesting because I I couldn't pick. Once I started kind of going through these, like, okay, I can't. Are there any IDW characters that have this? And there was one that came to mind, and that was Optimus Prime of the Transformers. Born with powers, yes, he transforms into a diesel truck, which is kind of cool, not the greatest. You know, he's no Starscream. But the fact is, he would be a fantastic addition to this team. And then rounded out with an anti-hero, coming from Dark Horse, I chose Hellboy. So for me, I'm looking at this team, and I'm going, they're going to conquer something. They might be taking on this heist crew, buddy. You know, I think these guys could actually combat this heist crew that I've come up with. Maybe I've just created my movie. Who hey, knows? you know, wilder things have been funded. Yes. So don't give up hope. That is a wild grouping of characters. Who knows what will happen? Would create an incredibly interesting dynamic <laughs> of <laughs> of uh interaction based on like their traits their um yeah yeah i mean like hellboy and superman mm, i don't think there's gonna, gonna be do? a lot of agreement <laughs> there probably and, not uh, i mean can you imagine spider-man hanging out with optimus prime you know just swinging around that one i can going. absolutely see i can see him like perched up there on the shoulder just shaking his head because those are the two characters like man they're like, you know, very even keeled in the middle, just kind of have fun. And, yeah. Uh, the rest, of, yeah. Oh, that is wild. Absolutely. So that's my wild superhero ultimate super team mashup. Well, I like it. And now I'm even more excited to hear what your number one is since we've gotten high screw and superheroes out of the way. I'm interesting. Hmm. I wonder what's left. Well, my number one is movies and slash video games. When I told my kids that this was going to be my number one pick, my daughter said, of course this is your top pick. You would probably die on the spot if they ever announced this. This is my Laura Croft and Nathan Drake go treasure hunting together movie. I am so in need of this Nathan Drake Uncharted movie to come out. I adore the short film that was put out Last year, I believe, starring Nathan Fillion. Although I believe Nathan Fillion is a little past his prime and probably can't carry the new Nathan Drake film the way that I would want him to. I can't, I think it's Tom Holland actually that's been cast as a young Nathan Drake and we'll get to see that play out eventually. I'm still waiting on it to hit the, hit the streets, but it's supposedly in production somewhere. I hope we get it because the treasure hunting genre, the Indiana Jones type characters, Lara Croft, 
this is one of my absolute favorite things ever, especially in video games, even more so than the movies. But when you take this material, it's such rich wealth to translate into a cinematic story. And these characters are very much the same, but they also have incredibly unique personalities as well. And so I think seeing Lara Croft mix and match with a Nathan Drake. Lara Croft coming from a family um, of folks that have been doing this. She has a mansion and money. Nathan Drake coming from a history of being an orphan and uh, coming up in a very different way than Lara. I think when you put them together, they could have one heck of an awesome adventure going around. Maybe they take Missing Link with them. Mr. Link, that is. As a sidekick, that'd be kind of cool. I just think that this team up for me would be the end all be all of awesome movies. And I would definitely want Lara Croft to still be played by Alicia Vikander. I really enjoyed her portrayal of that in the role. And I'm excited for the sequel for the film that we got for Tomb Raider, more modern take on the character. And so, yeah, man, give me the Lara Croft and Nathan Drake crossover now. And I will happily throw all of my money at it. Well, you are three for three in terms of getting me to the theater, because that would definitely be one that I see as well. Even not having a history with either of those two properties outside of watching Tomb Raider last year with you or two years ago. The podcast episode just run together. I can't remember. Anyway, well, I wish that Vin Scully were here to announce this lineup because I got into a sports mentality and I decided we need a movie that centers around the ultimate baseball all-star team. And again, I have no idea what the plot is. But Wow. Did you actually pick nine people? I, I No, I did not pick nine people. <laughs> I picked 11. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I won't dwell on any of these guys. I'll just basically announce them very quickly like an announcer would as they come That's out. football, the by the way, 11. Oh, well, you'll see what I'm talking about. <laughs> so as starting pitcher, we have Billy Chappell for, from, Love of the Game, from For Love of the Game. At catcher, we have Crash Davis from Bull Durham. First base, Jack Elliott from Mr. Baseball. Second base, we have Marla Hooch from A League of Their Own. At shortstop, we have Benny the Jet Rodriguez from The Sandlot. At third base, we have Ray Mitchell from Angels in the Outfield. In left field, we have Pedro Serrano from Major League. Joining him in center field is fellow teammate Willie Mays Hayes from Major League. And finally, in right field, we have Roy Hobbs from The Natural. So that finishes out the offense there. We also have a closer in Henry Gardner from Rookie of the Year. And the team is led by none other than manager Jimmy Dugan from A League of Their Own. I see no losses in their future. And if there are losses, they will overcome them because they are great. So that is my super team of baseball players. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, I love what I love about this is that we both went full on like personal heart picks for number one. Like beyond a shadow of a doubt, doesn't matter what the rest of the world would think or want or care about. These are like incredibly personalized to our taste and what we would want to watch and see. Um, and I love that about that because I, frankly, like, I don't know that I care that much about that movie. Um, I would watch it and I would probably be entertained by it, but I wouldn't be <laughs> hyped about it in the way that you probably were when you were putting this imagination, imagine when you were putting this fake team together. Uh, but that's really cool, Fantasy man. team, not fake team. That's the word I was looking for. Fantasy team. That's right. It's even <laughs> in the topic. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> Just ignore me. I'm uh, lost for words, I guess. <laughs> I like it. I think it's really cool. And it's also a great way to segue into the end of this episode and you plugging what's coming next. So whether you did it on purpose or not, it works out. You're absolutely right. I enjoyed this conversation, obviously, and we hope that you guys enjoyed this and that you will join us next week as we have a pretty good week planned. We have our next installment of live action slash reimagine slash reinforce slash whatever Disney movie coming out, which is Aladdin. So we're going to be covering that next Monday. So come back and join us for that. And then we're going to be finishing up the month with our donor pick episode of The Sandlot. Yes. <laughs> you got Benny the Jet Rodriguez, 
making an appearance there. You're going to see him. You're going to see why he is my shortstop pick as we cover that. And then for all you patron subscribers, we have got some great bonus content happening for you as well. If you want to be a part of that, you know, you can join patreon.com slash film. Check out all that stuff for as little as a buck. You can get a vote and a donor pick. For more than that, you can then get more bonus content access. We're excited for all that coming up. Aaron, thank you so much for another great conversation. We will talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.